Great news. Side Retired is now partnered with SeatGeek. For all ticketing needs, go to SeatGeek.com and use promo code SIDERETIREDPOD in all capitals for $20 off your first order. We've got you covered from all things ranging from sporting events to concerts, including the NFL and NHL. Yes, this means we're officially taking you out to the ballgame. And now for today's edition of Side Retired Podcast. Well, we promised you action at the 2022 winter meetings. And while I don't think either Jack nor I predicted that half a billion dollars would be spent in the 24 hours we took in between recording episodes, it is, of course, Dylan and Jack, as always. And well, my New York Mets made a move. Justin Verlander has been acquired two years, $86 million, making him the second highest paid player in baseball behind Max Scherzer. Scherzer's at 43 Point four million dollars. Verlander, I believe, is forty three point three million dollars. No, they're both at I, Well, then we definitely know that that was on purpose. We also saw Trey Turner got a mega eleven year, three hundred million dollar deal from the Philadelphia Phillies, as well as rumors: Aaron Judge, Clayton Kershaw, Sean Murphy, and so much more. Jack, how you feeling now that money's being spent? Very happy. I enjoyed like just as a baseball fan watching the moves. I think it's more so. It's much more enjoyable when you don't expect your team to sign these players, as I did with everyone who has moved today. So I, I really did. I was happy for the Mets, um, the Phillies. Just you know, I, I was texting the fans I knew on of the respective teams. I did. I will say, um, credit to myself, I predicted both moves correctly to those teams. So I was very proud of that. Back from our free agency preview episode, go link there if you want to hear more um, spoilers on free agency and not predictions. Um, you know, I guess we'll go into uh, who we thought was better, but I think I'll be remiss if I don't start off with my home country where the Yankees made a huge signing today with Brian Cashman into a four-year deal. I don't know. I thought it was kind of comedic. Um, I think some fans will probably overreact with just the high-profile names and other big markets that are inextricably linked to the Yankees heavily with the Philly-Jersey rivalry and then the Crosstown Bronx-Queens so, you know, I think it's kind of comedic just seeing fans overreact like that. Um, Cashman, like, while it might not have been official before, I think this was already in the works. It's just they took the time now and the liberty to make a Twitter announcement about it. There's really no more credence to it than that. Um, you really shouldn't be giving it any more, grain, you know, any grains of salt. Uh, I just, you know, it's a simple, simplistic move. I think Cashman overall is a solid GM. Um, you know, many people, would, I think it's always New York, so there's been people who want him fired, but... You know, I think that's for a different time, another place when James Tauschig's on the podcast that will go into that discussion. But really nothing more to make of it than he's going to be operating the, the team right now. It's not the time nor the place to put in his replacement and you no know, four-year plan. I think the organization is moving in a good way with their farm system, how they've approached free agency trade deadlines that I'm happy with the way it's being run as of now and really don't really see a need for a change there. I think the only thing of note, and this is, again, just a minor thing because I think everyone expected Cashman to come back. I thought there was a chance, and correct me if I'm wrong because you know the Yankees organization much better than I do. I thought that there was a chance he could have been promoted to president of baseball operations. That way there was a chance that you could welcome in a young analytics guy that could be the GM, serve underneath him. And I don't know if Cashman feels like he's going to be in this GM day-to-day role all four years that he has the position, but I thought it was interesting that he's going to continue serving, as they said, as the vice president and general manager, instead of getting up to a sort of more president of baseball operations, students where he would have still remained in the same role for now, but it opened up the possibility to have him be 
a uh, sort of overseer of a young guy handling the day-to-day operations. But that's the only other thing that I thought was noteworthy with Brian Cashman. Um, I guess I'll just comment on that um, really quick. I, I don't know. I guess because Cashman's still like, he's still a young guy. Like he's been in the organization and the GM now for so long, you know, since 98 as the GM, the late 80s and within the Yankees org. So he's just been in, so he's older than people. He's younger than people expect. And I think that kind of lens where he's trying to drive away from taking in that more like advisory senior president of baseball operations rather than the GM. Something he wants to be hands-on, I guess part of it is egotistical where he doesn't want to take a step back. Um, Not to say like, I guess egotistical isn't really the right word, but like you think about it from Cashman's standpoint, I think he's definitely not remiss to the narratives that, you know, he got, he got a, a key to the kingdom in 98 where he had a constructed dynasty with a young core, lots of whom locked up. So like that was really handed to him. And then in 2009, yeah, he felt he spent the Yankee way, bought a ton of players, and they won a championship, which granted is harder than people expect. But, you know, I think he wants to have that defining legacy where he's constructed a team. You go back, listen, read about what Cashman, what the direction he wanted to take the org, that he wanted the Yankees to enter that kind of rebuilding phase in 2015-16, like we've seen the Astros do, like we've seen the Dodgers do, like the Cubs, the Red Sox, teams that have gone on and have built, you know, short-term success. He really wanted to follow that Astros, that Dodgers, that Rays model of, you know, kind of resetting the clock to just to the, bite the bullet on a few couple of years to reset the farm system. So, you know, I think he wants to have, and he's seeing now lots of the fruits of his labor with guys like this year, Austin Wells, Anthony Volpe, Oswald Peraza, several of those prospects that he's built a strong and long-term farm system that are going to be a strong yield now on the major league team. I don't think he's going to be ready to step back yet. Um, he's not really at that age, nor in like the position in terms of his legacy on the organization or the game of baseball to like really take that backseat. And then, of course, now we're going to talk about the two big signings that we previously mentioned, Justin Verlander and Trey Turner. I think what this goes to show for both organizations, this was a, as you mentioned, you predicted them. These were necessary moves based on what's already happened this offseason. The Mets lost Jacob deGrom, which made it seem like, okay, they're going to get one of Rodon or Verlander. And it just seemed from the get-go whether it was that they wanted to mirror the Max Scherzer contract or they wanted to partner Verlander again with Max Scherzer. For whatever reason, the Mets' focus seemed to be more on Verlander than Carlos Rodon. And obviously, we will get into the argument eventually when we do our top 10 starting pitchers, whether that's the right choice, whether Verlander is better than Rodon, Verlander is more dependable than Rodon, or however we're going to get in that argument in the future. I think for now, you just have to look at the Mets and say, okay, is he as good as Jacob deGrom? No. That's a plain and simple. Yes, he's getting paid more than the ground, but obviously it's a two-year deal versus a five-year deal. But this is a necessary guy to replace Jacob DeGrom because now you're back to having the Scherzer-Verlander big one-two at the top of your rotation. Carlos Carrasco is a really solid four-ish starting rotation in your rotation. And then you have a guy like David Peterson and Tyler McGill who could potentially be in the five slot. This does mean the Mets can't, and probably, especially with Steve Cohen, are not done. It could be Cody Senga. Could be Chris Bassett, Taiwan Walker. Jack's going to shut him when I say Jamison Tyone. There's someone out there that the Mets still need to get. Maybe it's a trade for Pablo Lopez or someone like that. The Mets still need a solid three in their rotation, but this was a necessary move to say, yes, Steve Cohen is doing fine. This is not a rebound, although I know we're extremely happy to have Kate Upton and Justin Verlander. And yes, that also includes Ben Verlander as a part of the Mets organization for the next two years, which definitely comes with a lot of baggage, more than Jacob DeGrom. But I think Mets fans as a whole, we had a period of 24 to 48 hours where we were miserable and we were sad and we were angry and all the other emotions about Jacob DeGrom. And now all the rumors are coming out, whether it's he said New York is a bad place to raise kids. 
even like the vaccination mandates in New York versus Florida. There's the rumor that Boomer Siason started that apparently Jacob deGrom told the Mets that he wanted to be in Florida for three out of five days, and then he would fly up to New York. I think it was like the day before his start, and then after his start, he would end up flying back to Florida. It was a weird, I don't know, if you go listen to WFAN, that clip is circulating around where either Steve Cohen offered that to Jake, and Jake said yes, or Jake said it to the Mets. Something Something weird happened where it seemed like Jacob DeGrom from the get-go didn't want to be in New York going forward. So obviously with big-time people like Kate Upton and Justin Verlander, who obviously love the spotlight, New York did wonders for them. And I think Justin Verlander coming to the Mets is a match made in heaven. Hopefully they'll stay healthy, but Scherzer, Verlander, top of the rotation. Jack, your thoughts on the Mets? I think it is, as I mentioned, a great move. I thought it was a good fit for several of the reasons you mentioned. Um, I will say I know we have a heavy Mets-dominated audience, I did write an article for a school publication regarding like comparing, um, I guess now it'd be even more interconnected, just talking about Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander, how those guys, like their careers have intertwined during their time with Houston, how they kind of mirrored each other with their seasons this year. You know, I think you got to set your expectations for what you're going to get with Verlander. I think he's going to be a workhorse. And I think I know he's going to be a workhouse barring like any unforeseen injury. You know his age. He's been doing it though for, you know, the majority of his lifetime, he's been eating innings at, a, at an elite level, pitching in one of the best in the premier pitchers in the game of baseball. So he's going to give you length, and that's something the Mets certainly needed. I think it's something, the one thing you could count on Verlander to provide you more of than DeGrom. You know, for certainly, I would say you'd place a heavy bet that Verlander, in terms of accumulating innings, is going to do so at a higher rate, more so, and end with a higher total value than Jacob DeGrom in 2023. But that being said, you know, in terms of his per rate basis, he's not going to repeat the season he had this year. I think um, Mets fans, Mets haters, I think everyone goes goes, in, goes into the contract thinking like he's not going to have a sub two ERA and he can do have a worse season than this past year while still making the contract very much worth it. I think if you're telling Mets fans, you know, he has a, a three ERA, three two, I think they sign up for that in a heartbeat. You have him, he's doing that. If you have the one two punch of him and Scherzer, they're going out, they're at, you know, eating seven, six innings a night keeping in a ball game two three runs i think that is more than what the mets fans would sign up for and i think if they manage their expectations you know he is pitching for i believe what age 38 39 39 40 whatever the case may be verlander is still going to be one of the top pitchers in baseball maybe not at the top like he was this past year but certainly going to be one of the premier names and as dylan mentioned you know the, the star element that maybe jacob Degrom lacked but I think that added perspective of one, he's not going to be on a rate basis, 102, 94 mile an hour slider, Jacob DeGrom. He's going to be a guy who eats you innings. He's going to, he would, I would be very shocked if he's not in at least all-star contention, but maybe not the Cy Young pitcher you saw this past season. And I think that's fine for the Mets, especially with Steve Cohen saying money is not a huge issue when he saw, okay, who's the next best pitcher available for me to get? I'm going to go and acquire him. And Maybe it's Rodon, maybe it's Verlander, but I think Verlander, for all the intangibles that we just mentioned, it makes a ton of sense for him to be in New York. Another move that seemed like it made a ton of sense, Philadelphia Phillies identified at the beginning of the offseason. It seemed like Trey Turner is our shortstop, is our guy. I know they were flirting with Xander Bogarts for a bit because of the Dom Growski versus Xander Bogarts Boston Red Sox connection, but it seemed like Trey Turner, undoubtedly the best shortstop available on the market, and the Phillies with a glaring hole. Now that Gene Segura has left and basically played Bryson Stott there throughout their postseason run, they've realized Trey Turner is a key asset to have on this team. 
He now reunites with Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper, who he played with at different points in his career. And the Phillies offense, and if you check out the Side Retired Twitter at Side Retired Pod, you will see we posted out the projected Phillies lineup. That lineup is going to hit. How do you think the Phillies did with this move? 11 years is a lot for a guy that's built on speed and defense, but I think it's a necessary move. I agree with you that it's a necessary move. Certainly, if you're talking about for the next two seasons, um, among those players, it's either Trey Turner or Carlos Correa. I think you could go either way in an argument in terms of out of the four available free agent shortstops. And even a lump, actually, no, I won't for the case of that he's superior. But Fernando Tatis potentially could be available via the, the trade market. But looking just at the free agent guys, Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, and certainly if you account for Correa's injury history, uh, Turner was probably the best option for the Phillies. You're looking at this core two year, two to three year window. The part of the move that I'm not as hot on is the extended length is in deferred of a lower AAV. Turner was the guy who I thought maybe could have favored like a Correa isk, if not like the fully embracing high AAV short term kind of contract for this offseason. Just because, as you mentioned, yeah, it is speed, it's defense, it's reliant on athleticism, but then also just in terms of his offensive profile. Turner has a very high chase rate, and he's had so for the past couple of years. You know, you talk, look at like the strikeout prominence in the game of baseball. You know, you want to look at how it will age, how a hitter, how a hitter might like, you know, defy father time. If you saw someone like Nelson Cruz, the key to do it is not chasing pitches, especially when you're in your prime. You know, if you whiff, you know, that's going to be that's a difference. You know, you're still you have the batter's eye. You're going to draw walks. You know, you're still swinging at good pitches. Maybe you're not making contact at the, the the desired rate, but you're still you know having a good approach. If you're chasing pitches, you're giving the pitcher extra strikes when he's mi- missing the zone. It's going to lead to more misconduct. It's going to lead to weak, weaker contact and, you know, kind of prevent the idealistic game plan when you're trying to strategize as a hitter. And if you get past your prime, you know, that approach at the plate even becomes more scrutinized, is more ideal, and is kind of even more dependent on how you are as a player. So if Trey Turner, you know, Trey Turner when he's 40 is not going to be the 99 percentile speed he is. He's likely not going to be a defensive shortstop. And his offensive ability, you know, right now you're talking about a guy who's probably like 25, 30% better than league average. He's going to be league average at best. And I know you're not paying for age 40 Trey Turner, but like if you look at the contract now, I don't think, you know, people heavily mention Jacob DeGrom or Aaron Judge as the ageability in terms of just because of past injury history when they sign their contracts this offseason. I look at Trey Turner's potentially like come, you know, in eight, nine years from now, this might be one of, if not the worst contracts in all of baseball. But that being said, I'm not going to try to come off salty. You know, certainly, you know, you pay players for their prime years, for their early 30s, not their late ones. And given that, you know, Dombrowski, you know, he's operating not with the New York Mets, not with the Dodgers or the Yankees. This kind of gives him more financial freedom if they're working within, I don't know, whatever, sphere of the luxury tax. So having that kind of discount now maybe affords them the ability to add another play, uh, prime player during the prime years of Nola, Harper, Turner, uh, Wheeler, Romulo, etc. So just, you know, we'll see how he approaches it. But I just said right now, assigning 11 years, you know, the extra mile for a player like um, Turner, as opposed to someone like Bogarts or Gray, who I think, you know, their swings maybe tend a more aging, age-friendly curve. You know, it's certainly something to keep an eye for. And if you're Philly fans, I think, you know, now you got a taste of the World Series. I don't think many people, myself included, expect you to be back there just considering how your team is constructed. And uh, I guess we'll see from here how, the Phillies respond and they're going to build off a season that it's going to be very hard to match up from their success in 2022. And I said this at the end of yesterday's episode before Trey Turner happened. I think this team still needs Carlos Rodon. And I don't know 
whether signing Trey Turner now basically eliminates that possibility. Because again, we don't know what the Phillies' financial limitations are going to be. They're spending big on Zach Wheeler. They're spending big on Bryce. There's 20 mil to Schwarber. There's 20 mil to Real Muto. There's 20 mil to Castellanos. This team already has a high payroll. They're going to eventually pay Aaron. No, I don't know his contract situation off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure he's going to be due for raise. Exactly. So he's going to be due for a raise if you want to keep him around. So Carlos Rodon, I don't know how realistic he is now, but I feel like that's the move the Phillies need to make. Maybe it's a trade. I don't know who I doubt the Marlins trade Pablo Lopez within division, so they'd have to get creative with that. But the Phillies are still a couple pieces away from being a true legitimate like powerhouse. I know they're coming off a World Series, and maybe this proved last year that all it takes is get into the playoffs and then get hot at the right moment. But I don't think I still there's a long, not a big difference, but there's still a noticeable difference between the Atlanta Braves, the New York Mets, and then you have the Philadelphia Phillies. We will also talk about the other big thing. Clayton Kershaw, congrats. He's back with the Dodgers. I was reported over a month ago. Now it's official. One year, $20 million. Kershaw said it was either here or going back to Texas or going home to Texas. He's obviously going to go back to LA and continue that legacy. The final thing we will wrap up with it is currently 11 p.m. Eastern time, Monday, December 5th, when we're recording this, which means it is 10, 9, 8 o'clock in San Diego. Yes, I just did do the math. Stop laughing at me which means that there's still possible deals that could happen later tonight. But at this current moment, Sean Murphy has not been traded and Aaron Judge has not been signed, although it appears that there is a lot of movement on both those fronts. Brandon Nimmo is apparently also going to show up in person for the winter meetings, meeting with the Mets in person on Tuesday. Aaron Judge is showing up in person. Apparently, Brian Cashman didn't know that was happening. Okay, I think that's a smoke and mirrors lie. But Judge is going to be there in person. Boris is there. Every other executive is there. So what do we think goes down on Tuesday? Is Aaron Judge signing? Is Sean Murphy traded? Are other moves that we're not expecting to go down? Jack, give us your prediction for Tuesday. I think Judge is signed. Um, I think that's the writings on the wall, whether you're like me and you're thinking and hoping it's the Yankees or you're, uh, you know, you believe he's going to be signing at the Dodgers. I just think it's overly nice. obvious given the reports. You know, it kind of seems like the Yankees and Giants are putting together their final bids and knowing Judge, how he wants his team to get to sign him now so they can go on with the rest of their, their offseason. Seems like he's going to want to sign tomorrow and the teams are putting together their most lucrative and long-ranging contract. So makes sense for him and the organizations to get that done sometime tomorrow. Um, the one I'll also throw out there, I think Carlos Rodon, it seems like his market is really shaping up lately. Um, we saw the two other aces, uh, Verlander and DeGrom sign on Friday and yesterday, respectively. I don't know if it's going to be done tomorrow, but it seems like in the near future, next couple of days, Carlos Rodon is going to have his contract. He's going to ink a deal with the team. Um, I think there's several teams in play. Uh, the Yankees, you mentioned the Phillies, the Dodgers, potentially the Braves. So certainly a plethora of options on um, the Blue Jays. If you want to try to pay, you know, this is really the last ace like pitcher available via the free agent market. So unless you want to go via the trade, and those guys have demanded a hefty, hefty price. Seems like Rodon is about to be a very, very rich man. All right, my two predictions. One, I'm going to alter my one from last night, which you said was not vague enough. Liam Hendricks is getting traded. There is my guy that no one's really talked about on the trade market. Chicago White Sox are a weird team. Maybe it doesn't happen tomorrow. Was, uh, I've read rumors today about him, so you could be. Mm-hmm. Because I think the White Sox are in a weird position. I heard rumors also about Lance Lynn potentially being on the block because the Guardians are a sneaky good baseball team. They're not going to spend money, but they're up the middle. Jose Ramirez, Andres Jimenez, Ahmed Rosario. 
they've got a good team and apparently the twins are ready to spend they're in on wilson Contreras apparently as well so the white Sox might see the writing on the walls them to start to tear things down byron buxton is another name i thought about potentially name dropping as a guy that could get traded but my bold prediction for tuesday the sixth is that the third suitor for aaron judge is going to get revealed and that Aaron Judge has come to San Diego because he has an in-person meeting tomorrow with an organization that nobody's thinking about because everyone's assuming it's the Giants and everyone's assuming it's the Yankees. And then obviously there's that rumor, so I'm not even going to count it, where everyone's like, oh, but the Dodgers might jump in and offer him like a high, crazy AAV for a short amount of years. And then there's also the pipe dream that he's going to be a New York Met. But this thing's in San Diego. So I think the San Diego Padres tomorrow it's going to come out that they are meeting with Aaron Judge. They're going to lay it all out there on the table. They're going to offer him a 10-year, $300-plus million offer. And I think all of a sudden, we're going to start hearing rumors. And I'm not saying it's going to be a done deal and that Aaron Judge is going to the Padres. But I think all of a sudden, out of nowhere, tomorrow, there's going to be a ton of smoke about Aaron Judge and the San Diego Padres linking up and becoming their future center fielder because they have Juan Soto. This would also be insurance for them to ensure that if Juan Soto were to leave in two years, Aaron Judge is the cornerstone of that franchise. But I think the Padres will jump into the Aaron Judge market and make a mega offer, big meeting with him and his agency tomorrow, June or December 6th. All right. Anything else on Sean Murphy? Cool guy, catcher, top available guy, could be traded. Cardinals, Guardians, Astros, a couple of rumored teams. Apparently the rumor is that the Cardinals miss Sean Murphy. They're interested in James McCann. So I hope that Sean Murphy does not get traded to the St. Louis Cardinals. But I think that's all we have for now. So until the next time, if you're all good. Yeah. Nodding head. All right. Until tomorrow, the side is retired.